Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Jesse Simonton and Austin Price. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. Rob handling some hoops duties uh, as Tennessee had SEC media days earlier in the week and some hoop things coming up that we'll have more coverage of uh, hoop stuff with for you guys uh, in the coming days and weeks as Tennessee's basketball team less than three weeks away from kicking off the season. Of course, uh, are tipping off the season. Kicking off this weekend is Tennessee and Alabama. Tennessee remains a what, five touchdown underdog at, at this point in time. So nobody expects Tennessee to win. So we've talked about this a little bit on, on the Tuesday podcast. Uh, not so much what's Tennessee looking to gain out of this week, but my question to you is, Jesse, how do you manage, how do you manage Saturday if you're Jeremy Pruitt? You've got, he's calling Brian Maurer a game time decision. We've talked a little bit about potential shuffling on the offensive line. How's your management of a game where you're a five-touchdown underdog if you're Jeremy Pruitt? I, I, I mean, you've kind of hit this on the head, and, and the, the players have not exactly had, I think, real enlightening responses. N- neither is Jeremy Pruitt. But, you know, the, the biggest thing that they, I think they need to go into or leave Saturday feeling is that whatever momentum you had coming out of this Mississippi State game, it can't all be for naught if, if you just get curb stomped in Tuscaloosa so how, how do you kind of maintain some of that confidence uh, I think it's by having it's going to be you know in, in, with little small wins maybe it's a touchdown drive like you had against Mississippi State where you take it the length of the field and you, and you, you run at Alabama on a couple plays and you, you generate some stuff and it's a confidence building drive that when you put up the tape on Sunday or Monday you say hey we did this against the number one team in the country why can't we you know turn around and do this next weekend against South Carolina uh, it's finding a way to maybe turn over a, a, an Alabama offense that you know rarely rarely gives a football away to has one interception all season so I think it's gonna be small victories but if you can accumulate enough of those I think you leave uh, Saturday night regardless of what the score feeling like kind of like the Georgia game perhaps still some signs of life Austin do we do we put too much and somebody asked me this at lunch earlier in the week you, you put it's too much put into you know keeping momentum having small victories here and the reality is win or lose you're going to flush this I mean obviously most people expect you to lose lose this game flush it Saturday uh, if night you win you ain't more. flushing it you right. carry that thing right. you ain't you flushing that thing for 10 more years but it's, you know you lose regardless of what the score is say you lose are you just flushing on Sunday and and South Carolina is no bigger of a game than it was before you got beat, and and, and it's all the moment. You know what I'm saying? It's no bigger. The biggest do, thing is stay healthy. Do, okay, that that's what I was going to go at. Is the, is the all the momentum and keeping the momentum talk that I've been talking about, in in the small victories and stuff we talk about? Is that is that a bit overblown in this day and age? Is it just get through the game healthy maybe, and get ready to play? Maybe, maybe it's overblown for other programs. I don't, I, I don't think it's overblown for Tennessee. This is a team that has continued to let one loss affect the next week that affects the next week. That's what happened in 2017. That's what happened last season in, in November where it literally you see the, the the season just crater right in front of you because one week turns into two weeks, turns into yeah, three I mean, weeks. They, they, parlayed the, they, play, they parlayed some of the positives from the Georgia game last year into the win at Auburn, you know. So, I mean, like... I, the same I, thing this year, right? You yeah. took some positives from the Georgia game and you turned that into a win over Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. And the reverse has been true as well. Yes, that's correct. Right, that's yeah, my yeah, point. That's what I'm saying. So, if you do not have these small victories on Saturday and do just get, you know, uh, taken to the woodshed, yeah, then, then what happens against South Carolina? Can you get back off the mat? All right, here's my question. 
Tennessee's, let's say Tennessee's down 28 to three at halftime. Knowing where they are at inside linebacker, would you play Henry in the second half? Because I would not. Because you're a turned ankle away from a disaster. I mean, they, they, the margin of error and, and the, how thin you are at that position, you can't ill afford anybody to get dinged up. You know, I mean, obviously you lose him for a half because of the targeting. Your thoughts, or do you just, just think because just, he's a freshman, he needs to I think to Hubs run? and I are in agreement on this, and I'll let Hubs speak too. But it's if you're trying to sell competitiveness and, and you know, week in and week out, that we, we believe that we're trying to get, we're trying to be, be a team like Alabama eventually, it's hard to just sit a kid at a position, especially because I think Tennessee considers him one of their better players, if everyone knows he's healthy. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough message to sell the rest of your team, well, in my I, opinion. Right, because the thing, the, the thing, and I, I see your point, and some people have asked the same question about the quarterbacks. Do you set Mauer? Okay, do you, do you get Trey off the field early because you don't? I mean, obviously you don't want to get anybody hurt, but at the same time, too, you don't forfeit. You know, you, you don't line up and, and, and forfeit. And that's, <coughs> I mean, I, I think if you start doing those things, it's the, it gives evidence that you're, that you're basically forfeiting. You're, not, you know you're what? not trying to play. And I'm, I'm going to double back on the point I just, or the question. The question, I just made. Yeah, you asked the question. You weren't, well, you you weren't back saying to, that. You go back to 2016. They mailed in that Bama game because they were going to lose at home. And that led right into what next week? The game that they lost, which really started the, the full decline of Butch. At South, South Carolina. Carolina, yeah, a game you mailed in the week before. I'm not saying that because you mailed it in against Bama and you played, you know, this player and that player out there when they really need to. You know, Marcus Tatum was out there when he didn't really have to burn a red shirt that year. That type of thing. It, it parlayed into the South Carolina game, but I mean, there is a correlation there. Now, now I will say this: you know, if, if hypothetically, if your score stands up, it's 28 to three at halftime. I do think it is a great opportunity to get the Jerome Carvins and the Meanses. And oh, Cedric Tillman and those guys, a hell of a lot of burn in the second half. And so maybe, maybe, maybe Toa Toa only plays the first two series, and then you put Solon Page and those guys back in. I thought it was notable. It was one of the only interesting things we even saw in practice on Wednesday earlier this week that, you know, it wasn't Crouch working with Batuli on any of the stuff at inside linebacker. It was Solon Page. Now, when they went to the dime rabbit stuff, Crouch was out there and all his usual uh in that as a pass rusher but you know i kind of wonder um on some of the early downs if if they may actually go elsewhere and i mean they, they clearly have no faith in jj so it's either going to be crouch or Solon page i mean peterson wasn't even taking reps when they were doing all the run fit stuff so j just kind of a interesting subplot for that first half and in a game that i think we all are in agreement that you could get away from Tennessee quite quickly. Well, there's there's a lot of things to, you know, when you dissect a matchup. Tennessee, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, this, that, and the other. We talked about it on the Rocky Top Roundtable. To me, the, the, the biggest concern is the middle of the football field. Tennessee couldn't defend it against Florida. It struggled mightily to defend it on play action against Florida. I don't think Georgia tried to expose it enough. They didn't really have to. Um, Mississippi State's touchdown came on a crossing pattern. The one in the second half came on a crossing pattern there. The, Tennessee's had a hard time covering people in the middle of the field. Probably the best thing Alabama does is throw it in the middle of the football field and let their guys go make a play. So if you're Jeremy Pruitt and, and you're Derek Hansley, are you just trying to get as much speed as you can on the field to defend that, even though you may be giving up, some, giving up the run from time to time? Is that a reason why you might see more of Page on those early downs, potentially? Perhaps, 
I mean, perhaps. I mean, that was – Georgia was the only team last year in the SEC championship game that, that had any chance of slowing down Tua until Clemson in the national championship. And both of those teams seemed to literally t- say Alabama, run the ball. De- run the ball. We'll give up seven yards because you may get that with Najee Harris and some of those guys back there, but we're not going to let you throw these slants to give up to make it a 50-yard gain or whatever. And those were the only two games of Tua's career that he's really been frustrated in any respects. And one would surmise that Jeremy has watched both of those tapes a ton, you know, this week. I mean, don't you think – I mean, again, I think Alabama, based on those two games last year, has changed some stuff, you know, with some of their RPO stuff that they do to give it a different look. But if you're sitting there trying to defend Alabama, I think you have to – as crazy as it sounds, Austin, you got to take that away first. And if it's you know if it's a slow death by them running the football, it's it's a death by them running the football as opposed to letting them throw a four yard route across the middle and go seventy yards for a touchdown. Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, death by paper cut, as Jesse always likes to say. Um, you know, it, it's but at least you're shortening the game by making them do seven yards at a time instead of the potential for that, you know, fifty, sixty yard or or the five yard pass and the 45-yard Well, to, and to Hubs' point, I'll have this in my 10 things, just about defending the middle of the field uh, and the difficulty there, not only Tennessee's inability thus far uh, to defend it, but how successful Tua is throwing it. He has 27 touchdowns this season. 19 have come between the hashes. That's who they are. More, more so than anybody else in college football, that's, that's what they – that's what they've created with their offense. So. And this is without, you know, I mean, they're not really doing it with a tight end anymore. You know, they had the, they had the first round tight end a year ago, uh, and now he's not even in the equation. I mean, it's just, it's, it's throw a slant to Waddle. It's throwing a, you know, a Throw quick, an arrow quick, route, yeah, arrow. you know, whatever, and, and hit, it going, hit it going away from you, which Excuse is um, different. I mean, it's just quite frankly different because when you look at Clemson, it's more vertical and what they like to do. Um, I think Oklahoma's a little more outside the hash in the way they like to play. I don't think anybody's playing inside the hash marks across the middle the way the way Florida or the way Alabama is right now. It may, it, it, it may be LSU, it's, you know, because both of them are running those kind of inside rub routes. LSU's not quite running quite as much RPO. I thought it was kind of funny as an aside on Monday. Here in Pruitt almost waxed both nostalgically about the old Alabama LSU, you know, and the, like the, 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 the nine, nine six. six game, and then being like just amazed, literally had a kind of a funny back and forth with a reporter being like, you know, it is interesting to be watching LSU actually throw the ball. You know, they always had good players, but they just never had <laughs> a quarterback. Em- go, going empty, going empty to put the game away. Never thought I'd never see thought it. Never thought I'd see it. I mean, it was just funny. It was, Well, but it, 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 it is. I mean, that's a – Different topic, I guess, for another podcast. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure a bunch of people in VolQuest want to hear talk about that matchup or talk about that game or talk about the growth of LSU. But it is part of the ever-changing landscape, landscape of, college of college football. Well, and there's which, which is you can where take away that 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 goes to Tennessee is you know what are they doing that uh, Tennessee coaches are saying? What are they doing to be successful that we can implement into our game? And, and some of that it literally is some of the empty stuff, five wide, using the middle of the field. Yeah. I think it's interesting there's so much talk about – because the, the perception of RPO a lot, it involves a quarterback run. Most people think RPO means a quarterback run. 
Well, I mean, it's not like Tua's running it. I mean, a little bit, but it's not like he's a real factor in the run game like a Jalen Hurts would be, you know, with the RPO stuff or some other guys out there. No, he's either handing it off to Najee or he's pulling it and throwing throwing right. a, a quick hitter to, to Judy who's yeah. just There's impossible no. to tackle. He don't give you that option to he tweet. Have he don't give you that option to tweet. Damn, Tua. <laughs> I mean, he does. I mean, he doesn't have. He doesn't have to, because he's got so many weapons around him. But that is a changing world for for officials for everybody else. Because if you're a defensive lineman, how do you play it? How, how do you how do you play it when a guy's run blocking? You know, and then all of a sudden it's a throw over the you know over the top of your head. I mean. It, it is the biggest game changer we've seen the last few years in college football, starting with what Rich Rod did really in Arizona is probably the first time I really saw it come into play. He was doing some of that stuff. They don't call linemen too well, far that, downfield that's the, that's anymore. The thing. Gus took and Gus Gus won a championship because of that. Right. I mean, they they, they would just all of his option RPO stuff. They were just not calling linemen seven yards down the field. And they don't call it anywhere anymore. And so it makes it really hard to defend because you sit here and you talk about how Tennessee struggles, you know, with, with inside linebackers and coverage and that thing. It's hard, to, it's hard to ask those guys to cover because the first thing you're telling them is stop the run, right? That's the ad. You can't let a team run with you. But it almost feels like in this game and in some other games, you've got to make the team run the football. Take the pass away from them and force them to run. Which, which is, is the NFL which is, philosophy, right? I mean, that's, and that's 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 what the the NFL has become, where it's you are literally giving away a down in the NFL. The way the analytics work these days, if you're not either throwing a play action shot or attempting a pass on first down, which is what makes the what the 49ers are doing right now in the NFL so outside the box, because they're playing with a full back and they're lining up and they're running it at people. But they, but they also, but Shanahan is calling a play is calling more play action passes than almost anybody in the league. So there is there right. is kind of a, a. But you're right. But they, they're not spreading. They're not spreading they're not playing You're right seven about that. Loose checking those guys are important. Are very important to what they're doing. Right. And then, Which again goes back to, to to football. I think the biggest element to football is create your own identity. Right. Now you can rob from everybody. You can rob from people, but. You can't emulate everybody you're chasing. You got to create your own identity a little bit, which is going to be fascinating for this Tennessee offense. What do they become if Maurer stays healthy and they and they move forward with him? Because they can't just throw the RPO slant. Okay, they're going to have to do something. How does it grow moving forward? How much can you build off? Put the ball down at the nine yard line and going 91 yards with your offensive line and, and playing football that way. How much can you build off of what Maurer has done, being able to throw some of this tight window stuff that he's been able to throw down the scene? And some of this is – we can even turn this into a broader discussion for part of this pod. Just we're at the midway point of this you know, season for Tennessee, four and six, six games left. Um, you know, who's been the best player? What have you. But I'm not really sure the offense still has an identity yet because of all the changes on the offensive line. <coughs> uh, because they've, had, they've switched quarterbacks. But one thing I will be interested to see the second half of the season is does Pruitt maybe release the reins a little bit? Both he and Kirby, Will's the same way. Uh, you know, they all come from the Nick Saban school, but all three of them have been late to the party thus far in accepting that you're going, it's okay to give up some yards on defense if your offense has plays with tempo and just can't be stopped. Nick has accepted that. 
I mean, yes. Alabama will play with pace. Right. They start. They start going. They, they're not going like Alabama. They're not going Oklahoma fast, or you know, or old Dana Hol- Holgerson fast. But they're going with tempo, and I, that seems to play to Brian's strengths. And so I wonder if Tennessee goes with that because it does run counter, you know, because Pruitt and these guys, Kirby, they all smash the ball and, and pound them. But you can only you can have a combination of tempo and man ball at the same time. So it's just something that I was I was thinking about it uh, earlier this week when I was kind of working on some other stuff and just. I wonder if that's an avenue they go down. Whether it happens this week, I guess, will be dependent on how much Maurer plays. But perhaps South Carolina moving forward, do you go tempo? Because is that a recipe for more offensive success? And I think Cheney, at the end of the day, Austin likes tempo. I mean, because he's a rhythm guy. And, and, if, and if his guy can get into rhythm and he can tempo to keep him in rhythm, then I think he would, I think he would welcome doing that. Not, in, not that he's opposed to huddling. Look. I thought his second half against Mississippi State was as good of a half of football as he's called. So, but I but he's worked ult- with the last couple of guys that that are not in the Bielema wasn't tempo, Curry right. wasn't tempo. You know, so it's just it, it'd be it. You're probably right. Cheney probably would push comes to shove, be like, hey, let's because th- we know he wants to throw the pill around. Right, so. he certainly wants to go tempo. <laughs> no, if, if he can go tempo, so it will be. I, I think there's a couple things to moving forward just past this game to, to watch. One, I think that's a good point. Two, Austin, where do they settle in on their five on the offensive line if they all stay healthy? And then, to me, the third third thing is who emerges as another playmaking weapon? We all thought it was going to be Eric Gray. It's not been to this point. Nor the, Dominique Wood Anderson. Right. Does Gray reemerge a bit after uh, having three games or so where he doesn't do anything? Is it Ramel Keaton? You know, is it? Is it means? I mean, where does where does another playmaker emerge in this back half of the season for this offense? I think it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, I maybe it's Josh Palmer because he's been non-existent, but it almost feels like he's kind of just stuck in neutral. Do you not agree? I mean, it just I mean, it feels like he just can't get going. And everybody had the the thought process, and I sure was guilty of this to think that he was going to be the guy that took that step this year. When you look at overall potential. Be able to you know kind of run all routes those type of things, and you know I mean he's almost been a non-factor at times. So maybe he emerges. You know we'll see. But I mean he, to me he's someone that could, based on the fact he's not to this point. Yeah, I, I think the Keaton situation is pretty interesting because there's a point in time where the thought process was that Ramel was 687 miles away from being a factor, you know, and then there was the thought that he you know oh, okay he's coming along, and now I think. With T on the sidelines, I think there's a chance he's going to remain pretty regular in the rotation other than just being out there to block somebody. But he's shown a willingness to block. He had the big catch on Saturday. I wonder if he continues to become a factor Well, he's Well, he's forward. somebody in fall camp that, you know, the coaches really fell in love with. I mean, made numerous plays and scrimmages and, and just good on good work. Um, but because he's got those older guys ahead of him, you know, was down the depth chart a little bit. But... You know, he's definitely a guy that I can see being, you know, a guy that, you know, is more more consistently a factor. And I think they're definitely going to try to limit some of those, rotate those reps more so that they're not, they don't have a bunch of wore out receivers at the end of the season down the stretch. Yeah, and we'll see. I'll be, I'll be curious to see kind of how Means is 
uh, snap distribution goes. Because in, in last week, it was notable he got to play because he took all of Cedric Tillman's reps. But Tillman was in on some pass plays. He even caught the touchdown a couple weeks ago. Means played 15 snaps. 14 of them uh, were were runs. So, you know, you know, is he right, just going to be a designated blocker? Right. Or is he maybe come he's in? not ready now, to catch it yet. Yeah, now, may, now, I mean, Jeremy even said, you know, that J.G. and Maurer missed him a couple times or could have pulled it back. Maybe Tyler Bird gets more involved if they are going to go to more RPO stuff, well, because I, he's out there. He's out there primarily because he's fast as hell and can block, and he's not afraid to put his face mask, you know, into into opponent uh, DB's uh, chest. So he could be a guy that maybe gets two or three opportunities a game if all the quarterback has to do is pull it and throw a little five yard slant. I feel I feel like T, of all the coaches he's had at wide receiver, T's the one who truly believes in Tyler Bird. I think T. Martin thinks Tyler Bird can help them and be a factor in some capacity. Now that doesn't mean he's going to lead the team in receptions the back half of the season, but just but doesn't seeing mean them he's just inter- a special teams guy. Seeing either. them interact on the practice field, seeing the way Tyler Bird seems to work for T. Martin and the effort he puts in and everything, it seems like there's a little bit of faith on each other's part in each other more so than we have any of the three previous wide receiver coaches or three previous offensive coordinators that that Tyler Bird's played for. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think it helps, too, Tyler's very mature. I mean, you know, remember now, Tyler's like 23, 24 years old. He, he, you know, he got to Tennessee and he was almost 20. You know, so, I mean, like, he's an older type of guy. Um, you know, I, I think the maturity level, um, the buy-in, and as Jesse said, he's very blue-collar. You know, I think there was a point, you know, a couple of games ago where he took a long, hard look at if, you know, should I just – quit at the four games and then, you know, go and play somewhere else next year and not just, you know, waste my, my eligibility, you know, being a special teams guy and, you know, I, I think was rewarded with uh, the decision to, uh, you know, keep fighting it out by the fact that, you know, you know obviously the 39-yard touchdown Saturday, but he also had a big catch in the first half Saturday on a drive and, uh, you know, just seems like more of a factor now than he ever was before. Yeah, I don't think there's, there's clearly a different level of belief in him with this staff than I think he's had in, in, in previous years. Just flip it over to defense right quick. We've talked about trying to stop this, but just maybe some individuals as we get, you know, at the halfway point to kind of move that way. Who do you think is who do you think's really starting to emerge on the defensive front? Okay, what about in the back end? Uh, I mean, I think they're an injury away from being in trouble at safety because I don't think Tyus Fields is real close to being able to – to help defensively, it doesn't seem like. So they've got to stay healthy at that point, at that position. But wh- where do you feel like, who do you feel like is starting to really figure it out on the defensive front? You're talking about the front four? Yeah, the front four. Yeah, okay. Because I, I think of every player on defense, it's, well, go ahead. it's Nigel Warrior. Yeah, I don't think there's of, a, but yeah. yeah, I don't, yeah, go but, ahead. But in terms of the front, you know, in terms of the defensive linemen, I mean, I thought it was limited snaps, but I thought what Darrell Middleton showed, you know, uh, on Saturday against Mississippi State, he at least showed that he could be a situational player. And, and for where he was three weeks ago, that's progress. Um, I think, you know, on a down-by-down basis, Solomon and Matthew Butler have probably been their best two guys. Uh, Karat Garland is, is another guy that you can say, hey, he can give us some snaps. I th- so I think they've kind of slowly found, we haven't mentioned Greg Emerson, None of these guys have been dynamic particularly, but they've at least proven to be serviceable, which is more than where they were, I think, two or three weeks I, ago. I think for the long-term health of the program, a guy like Greg Emerson is going to be gold. Because you're going to have – I mean, he's, he's going to be a, 
a five-year guy. He's just a redshirt freshman. You're going to have him for a long time. And he's only going to get better the older he gets. You know, I mean, like, is he ever going to be like, you know, a guy that's an all-SEC player? I, I don't know about that. But, you know, I think he's going to be a guy that consistently makes plays for the next four years, which goes a long way when you think about, you know, Jeremy and them constantly talking about, you know, a, a guy or two that, you know, wasn't really ready, that was ready by their redshirt junior year or redshirt senior year. Um, he's forced into action because of, you know, their spot along the defensive line. And well, I think he's going to be only a guy that just continues. Well, right now the defense, I mean, if you rewatching that Mississippi State game, it's not like the defensive line was blowing Mississippi State off the ball. They did well in the run game, and a lot of that was schemed, and they played their gaps well. Uh, but it was clear, you know, Tennessee had seven <coughs> sacks, which they hadn't done in a decade in an SEC game or more. But a lot of that was scheme stuff. Pruitt and, you know, and Rocker and, and Romp and everybody, they decided that our guys can't win enough one-on-ones outside of Daryl Taylor, who did, who did win two one-on-ones. But they played, they did their, you, you asked about Matthew Butler, what, you know, what have you done differently this season to do your job? He did his job. You know, he held up a guy at the point of attack, and so a corner could come in on an you know, inside blitz, and, and you get a sack. So I, I think the, the second, when AP says, you know, start making plays, the second they start, some of those guys actually start winning some one-on-ones, that's when that defensive line maybe turns from being serviceable to like, oh, okay, maybe they're actually decent. Well, and I think the key for them down the stretch of this season is to be serviceable game in and game out. Now, they're not gonna they're not gonna sack they're not gonna sack Tua seven times. He's not gonna hold the ball long enough for somebody to sack him three or four times right. in a football game. So you have to understand that going into this week. But moving forward, if Middleton will play his gap responsibility consistently. If Emerson will play that responsibility, Butler will play that responsibility, then they are, they are going to have a chance to be pretty good down, to be decent down the stretch defensively. I mean, they're going to have to play defensive football different than they want to, but Mississippi State games showed me they're willing to do that, right. which I think is a big step forward for this coaching staff. Instead of saying, hey, run our system, they said, hey, let's tweak our system to play to our strength. And what our strength is right now on the defensive line Occupy some space, you know. Take take up some space and let somebody else go make a play. Whether it's freeing up the corner, you know, for the blitz that he can get home. Because how many sacks did Bryce Thompson have going into the last game? In yeah, the, maybe one last season. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. How many times have they run that boundary corner blitz since yeah. Jeremy Pruitt's been here? Yeah, a bunch of times. A yeah. bunch of times. Well, they can't get there because it hadn't been blocked particularly well up front by the defensive guy to free them up, but they did that on Saturday. So I think that's a huge step for players and coaches moving forward if they're willing to do that. Alabama game notwithstanding, if they're willing to do that, I think that's a big key for this team's development down the stretch of the season to give themselves a chance to win a bunch of these games. All right, let's uh, quickly get to recruiting. You got Chris Morris coming off the board to Texas A&M. Uh, you know, the thought was Austin that they survived, but Three days after the visit, they didn't survive, okay? And um, the question is, is that one over? That's the question Tennessee fans have. Well, that one's never going to be over until he signs. Which is what we've you always know. believed, right? Yeah, I mean, even if you, if you pick Tennessee, it was never going to be over until he signs. So, um, I mean, do I think A&M's likely going to be the place he signs with? Yeah, but, I mean, Tennessee ain't going to go down without a fight, and uh, they'll keep punching there. So, I mean, 
know, they'll have the big kid from Texas in next weekend for the South Carolina game, the big uh, guard that, slash tackle that they just offered uh, last week. Um, you know, obviously I think, you know, based off of Spragan's family and then his Twitter, I, you know, I feel like Tennessee's in a real good shape there to hold on to him. Jamie Does that surprise you? Uh, Cause it not, does, not it really. It does me from this, from this sense, I didn't mean to interrupt you, it does me from this sense, he committed on the spot, kind of on the fly on not one been back since. and hadn't been back. So that's why it surprises me. I don't think he's really been anywhere, you know. I mean, I, I guess maybe a fraction, um, you know, but, you know, I, I think he was maybe most likely to, to look around if Tennessee, you know, were to not win some games, but if they've, you know, especially if they can win next weekend, they've righted the ship, you know, quite a bit. So, um, you know, that that's one that shocks me a little, but not totally. Um, James Robinson, good there. Um, you know, Tennessee's just continuing to look at more and more offensive linemen, um, you know, and, and really look at it guards. It would, it, Kyrie Miller's the guy from yeah. Texas, and then, you know, I think they want to get Marcus Henderson back up here for an official visit if that happens uh but there's not a ton of guys there you know i mean it, the, the board there henderson's is kind of a guy that i don't know if they really know what he is you know guard tackle i mean i think he's a guard but yeah yeah but it's just kind of keeping that one warm and continuing to look there yeah. and his and senior see. film is a lot better than it was during his junior year right running back everybody wants to know about running back running back running back are there a second running back well, we put it in the war room. Um, it's a Quadre White. The uh, is the JUCO running back from um, Iowa Western. He was originally signed with Florida State. They moved him to linebacker. He wanted to play running back. Went to the JUCO ranks. He's a bigger back. He's 6'2", 215, 220 pounds, and um, he's uh, from the Fort Myers area down in Florida. So, uh, you know, he's a bigger back, uh, a football junkie. I'm told. Um, and uh, a guy that's super explosive. The, the knock on him at Florida State was he's a little immature. Now, has he cleaned that up, having to go to the JUCO ranks? Maybe. We'll see. That's and the other, and the South, other guy. South Carolina is the team that you watch there. Um, what was a, was a quadre besides Tennessee? And the other, I mean, and it was just two weeks ago they were out there. Niedermeyer was out in California seeing all those, you know, the different guys, and one of the guys – uh, he stopped by and saw also was the uh, Patton kid from um, Long Beach Community College, another big back, 6'2", 225 pounds. Um, I don't think he has as much SEC interest yet as White, but it's funny. We thought they were going to go speed, more speed, and I think White can run, uh, but with T, T. Hodge already kind of in the mold, but I think with the group they have on campus, Pruitt really wants just some meat eaters a little bit, you know, on all sides of the ball. So, and that includes at running back. Well, and he watched he watched a bunch of Georgia running backs fall forward and gain a bunch of extra yards falling forward. How many times has he talked about guys falling forward? And well, he'll see that again this weekend. Yeah, he's he's only happy he's only happy with running backs when they're when they're falling forward and you know gaining an extra yard or two. So I don't think any of us are surprised that he's looking. You know, would be. In the mold of trying to find a, a bigger back, if they could, if they could find one there, we know they would like a second running back in this class if if they could get it. Um, so Whitehaven kids, all we'll see if they go to yeah. Arkansas, right? AP, it yeah. sounds like. I think French definitely makes the visit. We'll see about the other two. I'm not sure Eason does. Um, 
you know, I think Tennessee's in a great spot with Bryce, and I think they're a really good spot with all three kids, but uh, specifically Bryce and Eason. And none of the families and, are and, going, and, uh, we've been told. Yeah, not, not none of the moms are going. Which is big. Which is big. I mean, getting Bryce and Eason's mom up here was really a big deal two weeks ago. Which is why Tennessee elected to use an official. You know, yeah. we initially talked about, wait a minute, are you shooting – Shooting your shot too but, early, so but, to speak. But that was a big deal because that meant she was coming with it. Big deal. We'll see how things work. With, I mean, Omari Thomas will be here next weekend on an official. I still wonder about, you know, Ole Miss there. I, you know, is it the the comfort level being an hour from the house um, appealing for the family? You know, that's the, that's going to be the big – I think if it's, Coach if, it's not, if it's not Ole Miss, I think it's 100% the balls. But Ole Miss's proximity there – gives me pause about Big O right now. I mean, I'm not saying that he's definitely going to Ole Miss. Right, I'm just right. saying that but that's the – But you're saying the, that's the school. Yeah. That's th the competition. That's the competition in my mind. Because it's because, not because it's not Jabari's Alabama. going there. And I don't think those two have to play together, but I think that proximity, family being able to drive an hour to watch him play. Um, you know, his dad, I think, you know, works, you know, a night shift. You know, I mean, it's just – But he, it would be easy. Much easier. It would be easier to get there on Saturday. Oxendine, that, that, that's a heck of a coming from the turn on that one, coming back. I mean, you know, Brandon Diedrich, I uh, think he deserves kind of kind of some, some credit staying, keeping Tennessee kind of in the – much like David Johnson and some of the guys uh, with the Whitehead trio, um, you know, just kind of behind the scenes, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. They get him back on campus. Yeah, if they end up landing him, uh, the, what, what comes to mind for me is Talladega Knights slingshot engaged and then he goes in from like third to first and we'll see i mean now now it's a coin flip decision it sounds like but he's already taken his official to kentucky already obviously just came here um purdue's not going to be a factor so tennessee had a, had to play major catch up and it does sound like for a four-star defensive lineman you know quicker guy uh he's kind of different than some of the other guys they're recruiting yeah. um We'll see. I mean, that would be that would be a nice a nice a nice one for the Vols to land, especially after kind of Jacoby Cowan, some of these other guys have have ended up elsewhere. And as we head out the door in recruiting, I think it was big that they got the quarterback, the 2021 quarterback Christian Valu Valu on campus because you look at the 2021 class, he's probably emerged as the target when you look at what's left and, and what's available what? on the board. Jim Cheney liked him from the get-go, let me say that. That's not a guy that oh. uh, I fall back like, oh, geez, this is what you're stuck with. But you got, you know, Brock's off the board. He's going Stowers to Oklahoma. Well, board. let's be real honest. <laughs> Being over here for camp this summer, we watched him work out, you know. And, and you know, he throws it good. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, now he, it was in a controlled setting, you know. But, I mean, like, he, he's got him an arm on him. Yeah, they certainly – he certainly – I think a, it was big getting Harrison back, too. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think getting both those guys on campus. Yeah, well, Keyshawn big. put out the tweet last week, try to calm the natives. But he didn't come Saturday like he was supposed to. So, you know, not that that's a – I don't think that that's a big deal. So, I don't go no, – no one needs to go panic mode. But I think just if they could see him next weekend. Now, it's the South Carolina game. <laughs> South Carolina is probably the biggest competition for the Vols. Um, but, you know, if, if you could have him up here and you win next week, I think that goes a long way to – and everything totally. I mean, I know we put out the tweet, but you know, the South Carolina ain't going to quit right there. No, they're not. And I mean, it is, and because here's the and thing. he likes T. Rob. Well, and here's the thing: Tennessee won big for Tennessee that they won, but <coughs> they get lost in the fact that South Carolina had a huge win that they're going to that they're obviously trying to ride a ton of momentum out of, which for sure. from a recruiting standpoint makes 
next week's game really interesting because Tennessee's head-to-head potentially with two or three different yeah, guys the on, running the back. On, the, on the recruiting trail with that. Could be an interesting factor in recruiting. So we'll keep a close tab on that. That's going to do it for this Friday edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. We'll have full coverage of Tennessee and Alabama Saturday night, Sunday morning as well. And uh, we'll talk to you next Tuesday on the podcast. For Austin Price and Jesse Simonton, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody.